Hello, and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski, and today I am talking to the marvellous Ian Jackson. We're talking about staying on track with your PhD project. And we talk about Gantt charts, we talk about editing, and we also talk about someone who built their own castle. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Ian. Hi, Emma. How are you? I am well. And I know I'm talking to you as you are in the archive, which, right. as I say, that just makes me go, oh, how delicious is that? Um, so thank you for coming away from the archive to talk to us, because that's precious time, I know. And I, I really do appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, you're so welcome. And in a minute, we're going we're gonna to unpick... The question of, is it even possible in three years to do a PhD? <laughs> but before we get to that, um, we always ask people to tell us a little bit about them and their PhD journey. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I studied architecture and I went on a kind of architectural pilgrimage to India during that time and came across an illegal sculpture park slash architectural creation in a city called Chandigarh and that's um, I became quite interested in that and surveyed it and measured it and recorded it and worked with the the person who created it who's called Neck Chan um, so I spent three years living there he built a waterfall and a kind of castle and I lived behind the waterfall in this castle what he built a castle <laughs> yeah it's um, it's really odd if you, if you if you search for Neck Chan's rock garden it's a really spectacular place Right, so we need to have great... that in this show notes yeah. so people can look that up. Yeah. So I had a great time. I, I kind of made my own archive because one didn't exist. And I was thinking about what, what is modernism in India? It's kind of wow. my thesis. Wow. So yeah, it was really, really good fun. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself. But but I did, and we'll maybe talk about this a bit, but it, it was difficult in the sense of feeling quite alone and isolated and difficult to navigate sometimes Mm. Mm. but but on the positive overall yeah I love that I love that and I love that you described it like you went on a literal pilgrimage Um, (laughs) because we talk about it a lot here in terms of the you know the PhD as a as a as a transitional and transformational time and I love that for you it literally was a kind of pilgrimage time so yes and now of course you're at the other side of that and still and still working in academia um and supervising your own PhD students now yeah that's right um, I've, I've supervised um, a number of students from from around the world um, most are from the Middle East Asia and Africa um, with a few from the UK too so so this is why we're we're picking our brains in terms of seeing things from a supervisor's point of view as well as your own lived experience of that as a as a PhD um, student yeah, it's really important to me. I think doing a PhD is a, is a real privilege and a, a special time in your life. And I want to Absolutely. help people to, to do that. And yeah, I think for me, it's one of the most fun bits of, of being an academic is to supervise PhD students. 
absolutely right it's a joy and I think that um when because people obviously I talk to a lot of PhD researchers who who um perhaps are worried about talking to their supervisors about their work or you know I'm going to be interrupting them it's like actually this is this is the joy right this is the this is the lovely bit to hear about cutting edge research that that the PhD researchers are doing um so do know that supervisors love being supervisors generally speaking um so we we were talking about things that we might talk about today and and you had this brilliant um topic in terms of is it possible to complete a PhD in three years how to minimize delays and stay on track so over to you (laughs) to to tell us how to stay on track one of the things I found is that most students are very good and competent at doing the research side of things and getting the data and doing the the pure research if you like but what I found is that a lot of students struggle off and they find it more difficult to process that information to write up the results and if you like to do the mechanics of the PhD Mm. so planning the project working to a time frame um, setting up a writing schedule and planning out the three years, what will happen and when. So there's a notional Gantt chart or there's some kind of broad brush um, attempt to do do a plan often. But but do we really stick to it? And is it detailed enough? Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm trying to focus on at the moment with, with my students is to say, don't worry too much about the data collection and the research. Instead, think about how are you going to structure the table of contents use the table of contents as your writing guide or map for the phd and then try and focus on writing a certain amount of words per day right right that can seem it can seem a bit mechanical or forced and that's because it is and you you just need to have that time every day where i don't know 9 a.m till 11 a.m where you sit and you write out what you found in the previous day or from within the lab or something and just to get into that almost habit or discipline mm. i think that really starts to reap some dividends over a period of time just if you just do that for a month you will probably have you know, if you're writing 500 words a day in a month you'll have 10,000 words right. and they won't they won't all be perfect prose or refined uh, writing that you can publish but at least you'll have 10,000 words that you can then edit and refine and share with your supervisor or your colleagues to to try and um, distill something useful from it. I love that and there's a few things in there that I particularly love so first of all this sense of the project management of the PhD, like actually the sense of it as a project to be managed, yeah. um, with with very I love I love your term mechanical aspects to it, really very practical, um, and thinking about how those bits fit together and how that how that works. You said the words Gantt chart. I think that will probably s- send lots of people into a panic. Yeah. <laughs> bring, bring back, bring back just these horrible thoughts because. That that kind of Gantt chart, which is the, this kind of big picture, for some people is awesome, and for some yeah. people just strikes fear into them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so this sense of what you're proposing here is this sense of like really granular, actually, on a on a daily basis. These kind of these daily or or we you know because people would have different with them. So we know that for yeah. some people, actually, daily isn't with care responsibilities and things that's yeah. not possible but the regular the regularity the regularity is what you're talking about and this moving forward in small steps but to keep moving forward because like you say then it's incremental right yeah i love that that's right and it compounds over time absolutely you and- you have a bit of, of a flow and you you read through something from yesterday and you'll just immediately start and before you know it you've got 300 words done already love it and and this sense exactly that like you're saying that this 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 um little bits that are going you you can edit from so i think that also stops people from starting sometimes isn't it that that people go oh well i can't i don't know exactly what i'm going to say and actually writing through that writing some ideas down gives you something to work with and then you're not with that empty page um yeah and you can write fast and edit slow i think a lot of people use that that approach so try and get the words down and then you can you can spend the time later editing once right fast edit so i love that as a quote i'm always looking out for the quote for the for the episode that could be one but i wonder i was really intrigued with what you were saying about having the table of contents as a map because i think a lot of researchers are hungry for this map like what shape how am i going to know so can you talk us through a little bit more in terms of how you might do that as your table of contents as a map Okay, well, they're not fixed and they can change and they probably should change over time. So don't see it as a definitive um, solution that you're only going to do once. It's going to evolve and change as your project does. And even with the Gantt chart, you can allocate space for thinking and changing. Not everything will be resolved at the beginning because then you would already know the answer to the problem. We don't want to do that. We need to have inquiry and we need to have a sense of exploration. But I think with the table of contents, it's a way to set out the size and the shape of the PhD. So we can see where you want to put the emphasis. We can see how many chapters you want to break it down. We can see, you can even allocate a rough guess of how many words you want to allocate to each chapter. Mm-hmm. Most PhDs follow a, a similar format, but within that, there's there's scope to place emphasis on different things. So. You might start off with an introduction, a literature review and a methodology, kind of the front end side of things. And then after that, you might have three or four main chapters. I'll try to think about what they are going to contain. Think about the narrative arc, because they should be building towards something. So how does the first chapter feed into the next one? How will that feed into the, into the final or penultimate one? And then you've, you've got a conclusion. And for me, that, that helps because it breaks down mm. this huge project of the PhD into some smaller episodes or smaller projects that you can get a handle on. And you can say, right, I'm going to allocate three months to chapter one. And, and just by doing that, by setting that artificial deadline, you will have produced something. You will, you will have got something out of it by the end and it will have forced you to focus more on, on the outcome and those outputs. That's... The reason, the reason, I, sorry, sorry, the reason I described a, the PhD as a project is because, um, and that they overrun is because we we lack that focus. Like, 
Sorry, Emma, what, what were you going to no, say? No, no, the, 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 I, I was just, I was just going, yes, this is great. This is great stuff. And in terms of, in terms of having the big project and then small projects within it so that, that you're continuing to kind of edit down and really clarify what it is you're trying to work on. Um, because otherwise, who, who can, and I know people do this, don't they? They sit down to work on the PhD. Blimey. This, you know, then, then how, how, like, no wonder you feel overwhelmed. Whereas actually this sense of, like you saying, having the big project that's broken down and really clear. And I, you know, I'm working on chapter one and then I'm working on this section of chapter one becomes much clearer in terms of what, what the work you need to do. And I loved what you said about the narrative arc, this sense of the story that you're telling within your, um, thesis and the sense that there's going to be different elements in, in that. Um, I wonder, I wonder again, if, if I can just ask you to, to explain that a little bit more for us in terms of how would that work? If I'm, if I'm mapping it out, these table of contents, how, how would I have a sense of what this, what this, the narrative arc might be or how to, um, conceive of that? Okay. Well, it's, it's going to be retrospective. So. You- you're not writing a PhD in real time. You're always reflecting on what you've done. Mm-hmm. So you will, even if you aren't aware of the narrative art from the beginning, when you reflect on your data, when you reflect on your results or your evidence, you'll be able to say, well, what is this telling me and how does it fit into a bigger picture? And I'm a historian, so I'm primarily concerned with writing stories and, and thinking about what makes us humans and things like that. But I believe that even if you're coming from a more scientific discipline or social science background, there should still be an overriding direction narrative to the to the story. This is to the to the thesis. There should still be a plot. And I think, as writers and as as um, academics, we still have a duty to entertain yes. um, the the reader because you want it to be interesting. If yes. it's dull, if it's dull and boring, like so many. PhDs are. I think that's real shame and a tragic oversight because you should be pulling the reader in. You should be tempting them with questions at the start of the chapter and saying, "Well, what happens if we do this? What does this data reveal? Where might um, um, this inquiry be heading?" So you almost want to tempt the reader with a few questions. You might want to. Reveal a bit of the outcome to them at that stage. Think about how you can pull the reader in so that they find your work more engaging and interesting. I love often, that. often the data can be presented in two different ways. It's the same data, but one will enthrall and engage the, the reader. One will just be a, a dull um, setting out of the results. Yes, and, and that's, I'm a sure. challenge, that's a challenge for everyone. I think all writers. Yes, and I'm sure you've been an examiner too. And it's like this, this kind of please, please make it a page turner, <laughs> please, because we it, it, it's it's a delight then. And that's really helpful in terms of what you're saying about the the narrative art, because I think a lot of people think they need to write forwards mm. with their research. And it's kind of I'm going to start with this idea, and then I'm going to just develop it and develop it, develop it. And like you say, actually it's going to be retrospective. You're going to be looking yeah. back at what you've discovered. And as you said, right at the beginning, if you didn't discover anything, that's the problem. So it's kind of actually, if things have changed and shifted and what you thought was going to happen, didn't happen. Brilliant. 
you've done some research you've been in a process brilliant um so yes yeah, so in terms of that narrative art this sense of 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 um weaving together and understanding and constructing that's absolutely can really that's that's shaping up your work isn't it awesome yeah 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 um so that's really helpful and i know that you've you've got some resources that people can um have a look at uh so i wonder if you could say a little bit more about that if people are thinking oh this sounds brilliant in terms of how how i can um break yeah. things down i just started to think how can how can i help my my own phd students to one get a grip of the data that we're producing because they seem to produce so much nice. data now so many photographs maps drawings interview transcripts and, and so on and we needed almost a database to handle that information mm. but i didn't want my students to spend lots of time coding and learning to construct databases but i think we live in such a interesting time at the, at the moment because there is a big move towards no coding databases and no coding software. Mm. And I just came across a, a package called, it's called Notion. Um, and it's a kind of, it's where Microsoft Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and a database program all come together in one. And I started to use that to, to create, um, it's almost like a, a little app for the students to use where they can record our supervision notes they can record the questions they want to ask me and then beyond the supervisions they can use it to be a container for their data and it's easy to share and present and to print off and, and, and um, contain all of the things they've gathered it's free you can just download it from gumroad i can share the link with you emily if you can that share would be that amazing that would it's be amazing it's brand new. We've only been working on it in the last uh, month or so. So it's very much in a, in a beta stage, and I'm sure that your listeners will be able to enhance it and improve it. It's fully customizable. Once you've downloaded it, you can make it your own and tailor and it, does, it to suit whatever you want. And it does that thing, doesn't it, in terms of like the table of contents, it takes you through so you can put in your own data into there and you can see things starting to take shape. Um, yeah, that's right. You, you just populate it with the books you're reading, the your ideas for the chapters, your, your table of contents, and you can use it just to almost like a, a cloud drive to hold all your interview MP3s. You can put films in there, you can put maps in there, and just populate it to keep a grip of um, how you handle the data. Really, brilliant, brilliant, and definitely we'll have that. We will have that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Um, now, you, you, you. We said at the beginning it was this sense, this question of. Is it possible to complete a PhD in three years? So I'm going to ask you, is it possible to complete a PhD in three years? How do you minimise delays? <laughs> there are certain, like with most things, there's a bit of a caveat and there's yes. certain things that are beyond your control. Yes. For example, the viva date, the availability of the external examiner, how many corrections you're likely to do. So I think post-handing, there are things you can't control. Mm. And that, that's often where the time creeps and yes. the months fly by. And before you know it, it's been six months and you're still waiting for the viva or you're still working on the corrections. I think, I think it is possible to get the bulk of the PhD done and to get it handed in within three years if you have a strict 
writing regime and a very clear set of outcomes from the start. What happens after you hand the PhD in and the Viva? I think that's where the creep can take place. But that doesn't mean it's beyond your control entirely. So you, you can try to negotiate with the, the examiners to bring the Viva date forward. And don't be afraid of asking. I think that they may say no, but they may agree as well and, and do that. And then allocating some time after the Viva, you're going to need a break. You're going to need to reflect. But if you if you can allocate a bit of time to try and get all the corrections done, most of them can be done quite quickly. With most of the PhDs I've examined, anyway, they're they're often um, some some minor reworking with parts of the chapter or conclusion or typographical mistakes and things. So if you can allocate some time to getting it done, that can help. And then if you can request with your supervisor to um, liaise on your behalf and try try to intercede with the examiners to to get them to agree to review the corrections as soon as possible, don't be afraid to ask. Mm. Yes, because there are people who are, are that sense of needing to complete in that amount of time for yeah. what for what for whatever reason, and to remember that this is it is possible. It is possible, and it's also that sense of, as you've been really clear with, is setting up from the start, going, well, what is feasible for me within three years? <laughs> what is possible for me to do within three years? Um, and looking at it that way too. Yeah, it is. A, it is. This is. It's a. It's a bit of a risky statement, but it is only a PhD. Yes, it's not your life's work. It's not your entire. Um, you know your entire um, body of work that you're going to do for the rest of your life so keep it in focus yes try to to remember that it's a phd and it shouldn't take years and years to complete try and get it done within that time frame yes and it's it's it this is could well be the beginning of your research mm. journey yeah um with so much more time to come and so much more time for exploration yeah um and yeah remembering that sense of kind of abundance and expansion that will be beyond what you're doing now um oh it's brilliant thank you ian and oh, before pleasure. i let you go i always ask people very unfair question about um giving us a top tip so do you have a top tip for us nice oh, it's, it's a great question isn't it <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the calendar i think it's got to come back to the calendar right. so to bring everything back to what I've been saying, use your calendar to block out the time so that you know what you're doing every week and every day. You don't just meander through and let the time evaporate in front of you. You have a plan. So every Monday morning, you know what you're doing that week. It's all set out in the calendar and you stick to it. And I think the best tip I can give is to turn off your notifications on, on your phone and on your email and allocate a period of time so that you are just working entirely focused and then you can reward yourself by going on instagram and looking at the other things later i love that i love that so yes get yourself in the driving seat <laughs> get yourself a plan switch off your notifications oh ian this is this is brilliant so much good stuff in there um and as i say there will be links in the in the show notes too thank you so much for your time i'm going to let you get back to the archive now <laughs> <laughs> thank you Emma. Thank you and thank you all for listening.